Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. What's up, guys? Welcome to City Church Online. My name is Seth. I'm excited to be here with you, and I just want to give a huge uh, thank you to all of you guys who are tuning in for the first time today. We appreciate you giving us a little bit of your day and your time. This week, we are going to be talking about uh, our jobs, loving your job and doing it well which is ironic because if you've ever heard me speak before, almost every time I speak, it ends up being about my job and the workplace to some extent. So if you've heard me, I apologize. This might be redundant, but if not, then hopefully you're in for a good trip. I want to ask you a question. What is the primary obstacle that you face every day that keeps you from enjoying your job, allowing it to be life-giving to both you and the people around you? We all function in some kind of occupation, some kind of industry, whether that be a stay-at-home parent or a doctor or a custodian or the unfortunate guy that rents out his hot air balloon for some boyfriend to propose to his girlfriend while he's standing there awkwardly in the corner or if you're a race car driver or the nurse that has to uh, stick the Q-tips up people's nose. We all have a job. We all have obstacles inside of those jobs. And uh, at times, they are difficult to overcome, difficult to move past, and they're not foreign. Real quick, let us know in the comment section below what industry you work in, and if you're working from home or if you're still commuting. It's always fun to know what kind of jobs are represented here in the, the room together. While you're doing that, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my job. I work full-time in the automotive industry. If you've ever heard me speak before, you've heard heard the whole spiel. I could go on and on about that. I'm going to save you that today. I, I work on, I do body work on cars, and unlike, not unlike any of you, I experience friction from work. I have obstacles that I have to overcome, and, and it just makes the day long. It makes the day hard. It can rob it of joy, passion, and conviction, much like your situation. Now, whether you deal with you know, mechanical issues or, or you're dealing with people, I believe there is one obstacle that the others pale in comparison to. One that, that you have the opportunity to control and change that could shift the way that you work for the rest of your life. That obstacle is you. What I want to propose to all of us here today is that there is a remedy for our workplace. There is a way for your work to be done at maximum capacity in harmony with both your coworkers, your boss, your employees, whoever, and that your job can be life-giving to both you and the people around you. And that's done by changing the one variable that influences the rest. And that, and that is done through a relationship with Jesus. You see, where we're at today, we're, we're near the end of our Colossians series. Paul is, is going to start talking to us about our job. 
We've been walking through chapters three and four where, where he picks up the conversation and the relationship dynamics around, um, we'll get into parents and uh, children, but we talked about marriage and how God can influence that relationship. We talked about what it looks like to see the world around you through the lens of Jesus living kingdom down, not culture up. And what Paul wants to do here with us today is take that same, that same filter that, that filter that we use to see the world around us and apply it to our workplace so that our work can become uh, both our worship and our witness. Worship, I don't know if you are aware of this or not, doesn't just happen on Sunday or, or it doesn't just happen in a, in a circle of people singing. That's an aspect of worship, but that it's not its entirety. God, God calls us to worship him with the way that we live. And as for most of us that live and function in the world today, a lot of our life is inside of a workplace. So the way that we work, the way that we carry ourselves, the way that we see the people around us has the opportunity to glorify God. And if you will let that drive your heart to action, you then have the ability to witness to those around you in your workplace. So Paul today is going to talk to us about godly living under authority and into authority. We're going to start in Colossians chapter 3, verse 22. You can go there or just follow along on the screen. It says this, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. First off, I want to get some vocabulary um, understanding here of what's going on. He uses this word slaves. A parallel to, to the, what Paul is talking about here, both in his context and ours, is the, the employee-employer relationship. If you're going to do a direct comparison, slaves would be your employees. Now, I know oftentimes in our, in our job, we probably feel like slaves. That's not exactly what he's saying here. And then the masters would be your employers. A much better word, but also more confusing, um, and, and it just has a lot to unpack, but it's called bond servants or or just a servant. And all the intricacies of this word and, and the way that it's used is huge. So in a nutshell, I'm going to give you this definition so that we can draw a comparison here. So a bond servant or a servant, what, what Paul is referencing here as slaves, is a person who has agreed to a contract of labor for a number of years under the authority of another party, whether that be to pay a debt, learn a trade, or gain property. So Paul is talking to any of us out there who have an agreed upon contract to work. For example, an employee. We sign a contract to work. So he's talking to you. And as a Jesus follower in the workplace under contract, we are to work in a way that both glorify God and impacts the lives around us. It is, it is supposed to, your work is supposed to be a part of your worship and your witness. There is, there's no avoiding it that we all form patterns. We all have habits and, and characteristics that make up who we are. And so I want to ask you the question as we start here, do your patterns point people to God? Do they show your heart? And is it proof that you serve a greater master? Paul's going to walk us through here real quick. Three keys to working under authority. Now, if you have not read it, I highly recommend, there's this book called H3 Leadership. It's a 
phenomenal book for anybody in a leadership position or if you look work under somebody or if you have any kind of influence altogether. But in H3 Leadership, the author talks about three characteristics that you are supposed to live out in your life, and that is humility, hunger, and hustle. We are to serve humbly, always be hungry to do good, and hustle at whatever task given to you. So here in verse 22, Paul alludes to these characteristics as he walks us through what we are to do as godly workers under authority. The first here we see is obey. Your, obey your earthly masters. I think it's funny that the first one he uh, talks about is the one that probably 90% of us in the workplace struggle with. It's, it's to obey exactly what we're told to do. It, it, it's, he, he's calling us to a level of humility. We all struggle with this. You see, I don't want you to assume that humility is weakness and those that are allowed are strong. That's a lie I believe our culture tries to teach us. But there is a great amount of respect for someone in any position to be able to take a direct order and then without hesitation, not only apply it, but make it a pattern and a habit. You see, pride will refuse to be taught, but humility refuses not to be. So we're called to obey our employer. We're called to obey and listen to our manager. When my manager tells me to do X, Y, and Z, I need to do X and then Y and then Z and then make that a habit every time that it occurs. Next one that he talks about here is, is hustle. Try to please them all the time. Never satisfied, but always content is the proper posture. He's, he's speaking against eye service and to integrity. Integrity says that I'm the same person both now while the boss is in the room and you can see me, and then later when he is gone and I'm behind closed doors working in my office, I'm going to work at 100%, 100% capacity all the time. This is a huge one for, for a lot of us in the workforce right now that are working from home. It, it is so easy would be so, so easy to just slide into work, whatever it is that you do, whether it's a conference call every morning, whether it's a weekly check-in, it is easy to show up for that meeting over a camera, whatever it may be, at 100%, and then right after that, just kind of slack off the rest of the day. You're not, you're not held to a standard. You're, there's no one there over your shoulder. Paul's saying that don't, don't give eye service. Don't do it just when they're watching you. Make it a part of your life. Let it become a habit. He's saying that we're not here to give eye service and that if the way we work is going to be the way that we worship and we witness, how I work needs to reflect what I think about my God. Serving God should elevate our level of excellence in every part of our lives. If ultimately I'm called to serve God as a follower of Jesus in the workforce, then everything I do while I'm clocked in needs to not meet my approval or even my manager's approval, it needs to meet God's approval. Okay? Last one here he has is serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear for the Lord. It says to, well, some other words for sincerity to help us um, digest it is to be honest or to be truthful or again to have integrity. It's to be hungry not for the bottom line of what is accepted, but to raise the bar, to be able to do good work not 
just busy work. Now, here's the crazy thing is these fluctuate in season. You know, what you ate for dinner last night is going to impact how you feel throughout your workday. I understand that. What, I, what I'm talking about here is, is a pattern, a characteristic, habits that are developed. If we can ingrain these into who we are and they become part of our daily life, we're going to be able to walk into our workplace and people are going to talk about the way that you function around them. They're going to say, man, this guy, man, this guy, every time he shows up, he's on fire and ready to work. Now, I'm going to be honest, completely transparent with you. I struggle with all three of these all the time. I mean, I think just one day this last week, I probably hit a huge X on every single category. I had no hunger to do good work. I had, I had zero hustle to do what was in front of me and, and to, be, uh, to have and hold integrity in, and I didn't show hardly any humility. My, my boss um, gave us paperwork to do every time we would intake a car into the shop, and it's easy to do the paperwork after you've already done all the work and sent the car on its way. But for legal reasons, the paperwork needs to be done first, which just hurts my desire to be as efficient as possible. And, and he only comes into the shop twice a week at most. And so it's real easy to slack off until he's there. And, and let me tell you, studying, preparing for this particular message has just convicted me like none other. There, there is a, an element to my work that... Um, has a lot to do with just my integrity on making sure it's a quality repair. To an untrained eye, most of the time, an 80% repair will never be seen. And, and this last week, I left a car at about 82, 83% repaired, knowing that the customer would never see the dent. But man, after I read this, this section, I was so convicted. I mean, if I could, I would call the customer and ask them to come back and, and I would finish out the dent just because I know it's there. Like, guys, Paul wants us to become a part of who we are. And along with you, I'm working on that day in and day out today as we speak. I'm not perfect at it. And I know that you guys are, are working the best that you can. So doesn't matter what your job is, whether you clean toilets, whether you walk dogs, whether you're a stay-at-home parent, you're a doctor, a lawyer, whatever it may be, do that job with integrity passion and conviction. Don't feel like you need to please people in order for your work to be acknowledged. I love this quote from Winston Churchill. It says, to improve is to change, but to be perfect is to change often. So in regard to these three H's, hungry, hustle, and humility, which one do you need to apply tomorrow as you walk into work or as you get on the conference call at home or as you just do your thing where you're at. Might be one of them, might be like me, you need to work on all of them. Think through that. We're going to go on to verse uh, 23. Paul is going to talk about here the head, heart, and hands of a Christian in the workplace. He's, he's going to address the desire and the necessity, be, necessity to be sincere and have have real conviction and passion about your work and what you do. You know, he wants us to approach everything without hesitation, approach without, without hesitancy or, or a begrudging attitude. You know, a fun thing to think about is 
where, where was Jesus' mind when he walked into work on Monday morning? You know, did he use the excuse of Monday to, to uh, walk in and, and have a bitter attitude and stuff? Or, or did he walk in willing, ready, and able to work? Let's look here. Verse 23 says, Work willingly at whatever you do as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. Imagine this for a second. If every organization, in every organization there is a leader. There's your manager, your boss, your boss's boss, the CEO, CFO, and the owner. Right? There's this, this pyramid. Above all of those, there is Jesus. And what verse 23 here, what Paul is trying to tell us is that in times when it is hard for me to work willingly for my boss, I know for a fact that I can work willingly for Jesus. That I can have conviction, passion, and desire in my heart to do good for Jesus, even when it's hard to work for my manager. I know that I can always do good work for Jesus. Just think about it. I don't know if you are aware of this or if you're aware of the history of who uh, Jesus is, but he came to earth and he spent um, a good amount of time on earth. And while he was here, he was raised under a carpenter. So Jesus spent the first 30 years of his life as a construction worker. How do you think he showed up for work every day? Now, I don't know where you're at in the room. I don't know what your, your, your spiritual... Um, history is or, or what your understanding of God is. But I believe for a fact that if you take nothing away from this, these practical principles to have hustle, to be hungry, to, to have humility, and to let your heart drive your head in your hands, you are going to change the way that people see you in your workplace. I want you to know, I mean, above all that, that you are, regardless of where you come from, love, safe, and welcome here. My goal is for everybody today to just get a step closer uh, to God from where you were when you started this day off. And hopefully we can do that through the, uh, the rest of our conversation around the application of our head and our hands. We got the heart. We understand we need to be sincere about our work. We need to have conviction. We need to have passion. God worked. And so it's a good thing to work. And we should be known by the way we work. So maybe, just maybe, you need to take a real deep self-check. You know, assess what your job is, what your position is. Is there any area that you don't understand? That if you understood it a little bit better, you could work at a higher capacity. You could produce more results. If that is you, and I've been there at times, if that is us, um, maybe we need to go to our boss and ask for help. You say, I want to do a good job, but I don't know how because I don't really know what my job is. If you could dial me in just a touch, I'll, pro I'll put all my effort into producing you results. Or if you're going to be completely honest, if you can't do the job, you need to go to your boss and say, I need training in this area or that you simply can't do it and you need to find another job. These are hard conversations. These are difficult conversations. But out of that comes the most, the most growth. Paul is saying that if we're going to work willingly, we need to be willing to work hard and, and to do our best. And that requires our heart to have passion, conviction, and desire with our head understanding it 
so our hands can follow suit. We can agree, now, for those of you that are employers out there, we can agree that there are a lot of people in the workforce, but I think we can agree that there are not a lot of people like this in the workforce looking for a job. This is what it looks like to have the head, heart, and hands of a Jesus follower in the workplace. Now, the reason that we do what we do, we're going to go to verse 24 and, and look at uh, a promise given to us by God. He says, remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. But if you do what is wrong, you will be paid back for the wrong you have done, for God has no favorites. Remember, over your boss, there is Jesus. I want you to understand something. Back in this day, culture and, and the context to, to the people that Paul was writing functioned a little bit different. There, there was the category of servant, bond servant, slave, uh, as we talked about, and, and they did not have a retirement plan. There was no 401k that they were investing into during their hard days of work so that they could one day cash it in. However, there was a master, and the master of the land could leave an estate, his possessions, as an inheritance to anyone. He had all that he could ever want to give. And as a bondservant or a servant, they had no possessions, no estate, no inheritance. You didn't, you didn't own anything, and you couldn't give it to anyone. But what Paul is saying here is to remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance. He's saying that Jesus has a retirement plan. Earlier on in the Bible, it says, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust can destroy, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. You can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. And much like me, I believe that there are a lot of us that can just get so frustrated, angry, bitter, just disgusted by, by a by a deal gone wrong where there was money that was rightfully yours and you didn't get it, or there was something that you try to contest legally and it fell through, or you had um, partners that stabbed you in the back and trying to cut you out of, out of your share. Listen, I want you to take that and just let it go. Understanding that Jesus has a plan for your life, has a promise of, of an eternity for your life for those of you that know and follow him. It, it'll get you out of tough situations like this where you feel like you've lost everything when the fact of the matter is that you haven't lost anything. It's, it's been moved to a new account for a season and when we meet Jesus, man, he will take care of it all. The Bible says here, that Jesus is a good accountant, and with him you get a new retirement account and a new inheritance account, and when we meet him, he'll just take care of everything for us forever. Now, I know some of us would like to have money now, and we don't, and some of us would like to have money when we retire, and the truth of the matter is that we probably won't, and when you get to Jesus, you will realize that he is a just God, he loves you, and he rightly repays those who do the right thing. And, and simply put, the right thing is what we're talking about here. 
is to let your work be your worship and your witness. If you have integrity in the workplace, if you have a passion, conviction, and desire for your head, heart, and hands to be in tune and aligned with God's will for your life, man, then God's going to take care of it. This is what godly living under authority looks like. And we're going to go to Colossians chapter 4, verse 1, and look at what it is like to live godly in authority. This applies to any of us out there that make decisions that other people have to live with. If you are a boss, if you're a manager, if you're a CEO, CFO, if you're a leader of any kind, if you have any influence at all, then you are in the category of master that he is talking about here. He gives us two commands. Masters, be just and fair to your slaves. Remember that you also have a master in heaven. Two commands. The first is this. Be just. In this day, servants didn't have legal representation or, or the ability to contest something in court if they were being wrongly treated by their employer. What Paul is saying here is that God expects more from you than the government does. The government doesn't expect you to treat people with dignity or value or worth or equality, but God does. And the government doesn't really regard these people as significant or important, but God does. And the government will tell you to see these people as resources to enrich your life, but God would tell you to see these people as made in his image and likeness, and he cares for them, and so should we. So for any of us that operate in authority, are you treating your people justly? Are you showing consideration? Are you doing what is right? It's, it's operating in, in a spirit of, of not threatening because of your powers, not taking advantage of, because of your position. It's not manipulating the, the checks and the balances and, and whatever it may be so that you ultimately always win out in the end. Are you being just? Are you being fair? He has a second command in the verse, and that is to be fair. This could include things like compensation. You know, have you taken into consideration what you pay your employees? Have you looked at the median income? This is hard to do, don't get me wrong, this is against our cultural grain to do. But have you taken a look at the median income in your area where your employees live and work and, and asked yourself the question, do they make enough money to live here, to live comfortably, to live fairly? Or, you know, do you give good benefits? If they're working on a sales commission, do you uh, fudge the numbers around so that at the end of the month when you have to sign commissions checks, you are able to put a couple extra dollars in your pocket because you adjusted the lines here and there. Whatever this is for your circumstance, your job, your occupation, I know there are thousands out there. Whatever authority do you hold, you look, it through the, look at it through the lens of, of consideration for the people God has put under you. Are you just? Are you fair? 
As Christian employees and Christian employers, here's what, what God is trying to teach us, that he wants people in authority and under authority to act like Jesus, to let our work become our worship and our witness, that the way that I treat my employers, the people that I have influence over me, glorifies God so that they ask the question, man, why do you do the things you can do? And I can correctly adjust their sights to the reason. Man, it's because of Jesus. Because I have this great master. Let me ask you, is Jesus the authority of your life? Do you have a relationship with him? If so, you do have a loving, a caring, a forgiving master. But if there's any of us out there that that maybe doesn't know Jesus, maybe you don't have a relationship with him, let me tell you, we all serve a master. Whether that's a person or a thing, if you don't know Jesus, you follow some authority. And, and I believe it's true for most of us that what we've experienced is that a lot of these masters in our lives are unforgiving, unfair, ungracious, and unloving. What I want to invite you into here today is an opportunity to meet Jesus and, and man, see him as the authority in your life because he is a good master. He is a great master. He, he died a death in our place to pay a debt we could not pay so that we can live a life we do not deserve. He did that all because he loves you. He wants you to be in relationship with him. And here's the thing. If, if we let Jesus make all the decisions, all the decisions would be fair. They would ju be just. They would be loving, gracious, and generous. Now, I know some of you are thinking this because I did when I was in your shoes, that, that we don't want to follow Jesus because we don't want to make him boss because we don't know what that entails. Listen, Jesus is more loving to you than you are of yourself. He is more forgiving of you than you are of yourself. He's more gracious and kind and generous to you than you are of yourself. And I tell you, there was a time in my life where I thought I was the best master of my own life that there could be. And then I met Jesus, and he radically reshaped my understanding of what authority over my life really looks like. As I close here, I want to put some action and reflection steps up on the screen. Um, Daniel's going to come up and play. I just want to make sure we understand Jesus is a great master. So those of us in authority, we want to be in authority like Jesus. We, we want to live kingdom down, not culture up. We want to walk into whatever circle we have influence in and say, what does God want for, for his kingdom, his people, and, and how would Jesus look at this situation? And, and Jesus was the perfect, man, he was the perfect employee. He was the perfect servant. Imagine this. He was the perfect child but had imperfect parents, and he was the perfect employee yet had an imperfect boss. Jesus served humbly. He was hungry to do good, and he hustled at every task that was given to him. What's it, what this means for you and I is that, man, we can meet Jesus. We can accept the, the gift of life that he is giving us. And then no matter 
what we walk into tomorrow morning, we can ask, what does it look like to be an employee like Jesus? What does it look like to be an employer like Jesus? And, and he will guide us every step of the way. As we go into this next week, I want to challenge you guys with these reflection questions. How is your heart, head, and hands in the workplace? You know, do you have, have a desire to do good work? Is there hunger? Is there humility? Is there, is there hustle? Does your, does your heart have a drive so that your heads and your hands can follow suit? Or for those of you in authority, how is your authority as a leader in the workplace? Are you just? Are you fair? Have you, asked, have you ever asked yourself that question before? And then lastly, now, be completely transparent. I don't want to do this. This is terrifying. But tomorrow morning, I'm going to go into work and I'm going to ask my manager how I can improve. And I want to challenge each of you to do the same. If, if the way we work is going to be our worship and our witness, then how I conduct myself and the, the level of energy that I put in needs to reflect what I think about my God. And I think my God is big enough to handle this question. Maybe if you're an employer, uh, ask your employees if, if you have a blind spot where you have not been just or fair. Ch challenge you guys to start living radically different in your workplace. Let it become a source of life and energy for both you and your, your coworkers, your employees, your, your boss. We can reshape Boulder if we take what Paul is talking about here and apply it to the areas that we work. It's amazing how many people we can touch if we be intentional about it. Let me pray for you. Thank you, God, for, man, your word, for Paul, for, for man, being able to do good work, just having the capacity to do it because of you. Thank you for being the example of what working in an environment looks like. Thank you for everybody out here listening. I pray um, that if there's anybody that is, that is struggling to you know, decide whether or not to follow you, God, that you break down those walls and those barriers today, that this is a milestone in many of our lives where we can look back to and say, this moment is where I met Jesus. This moment is where I started living in a way that my work became both my worship and my witness. Thank you, God, for this day bring us back safely. Thank you guys for being here. We'll see you next time.